BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Let's start out with Congressman Mark Pocan. He will be taking your calls. Congressman Pocan is the uh, former chair and current member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He's on the Appropriations, Education, and Labor Committees in the U.S. House of Representatives, where he represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin. Pocan.house.gov is his website, and uh, Rep. Mark Pocan is his Twitter handle. And, uh, you know, give us a shout. Congressman Pocan, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Glad to have you with us. Curious, what's uh, what's on your mind for the day? I'll tell you, this is the week the House and Senate are in district, you know, with Memorial Day week. So people should be uh, hopefully getting around their districts. They be an opportunity to actually have face-to-face time at events with your elected officials. But, you know, one, we're preparing for next week in the House. We're going to have a number, uh, either as a package or a number of gun bills for us, clearly trying to address what just happened in Texas. And uh, I could probably name every single state in the union, unfortunately, where we've had some sort of shooting and unfortunately too short amount of a time. But also, uh, you know, still, this is kind of the point where I consider the start of the the fall political season when you get after uh, Memorial Day. It seems like this is really the kickoff. You know, politicians are out in parades at community events. Everyone's campaigning towards November. But also, you know, those issues, uh, whether it be inflation, uh, whether it can be, be gun violence, whether it be the overturning of Roe versus Wade or other issues, certainly are starting to form for the November election. So it's a pretty crucial time uh, as far as holding the majority in the House and, and trying to broaden the majority in the Senate, given headwinds that are out there. But I think we're all very aware of where we're at right now. I totally get that. And uh, also in Idaho right now, there is a group, and now Idaho is a state that Donald Trump won by 30 points. Right? I mean, you know, Republicans outnumber Democrats by something like four to one in Idaho. I mean, actually, I'm not sure of that number, but it's just absolutely massive. And yet, a Progress Idaho, a local progressive group, has gotten more than enough signatures to put a ballot measure on that will raise taxes on people earning over $250,000 a year, will raise the corporate income tax rate from 6 to 8.5% and use all that money to pay for education. And the state law requiring uh, you know, a certain number of signatures to get on the ballot requires that a certain number of those signatures be from rural areas. And Progress Idaho is saying, hey, we had no problem. We had no problem at all. People want to fund education, even if it means their own taxes go up. How is it that in arguably one of the most conservative reddest states in the United States, you know, this this looks like it's going to be easy peasy. Obviously, you know, who knows? But uh, we've seen things like, you know, like down in Florida, they passed an increase in the minimum wage. Uh, same deal. Um, uh, you know, everybody's expecting that the Idaho legislature will probably reverse you know, the citizens initiative. But but how is it that that, you know, in, in one of these super red states, this kind of stuff can get done, and yet we can't get it done at the federal level. You know, this is the problem. The people are so far ahead of elected officials. You know, I think so often Democrats and Republicans are actually afraid of their constituents too often, right? They take the safest route because they think that's the best way to get reelection, but then they're not really listening to the people they represent. I mean, clearly, you know, Joe Biden, a big part of his Build Back Better agenda was raising taxes on, on corporations and the wealthiest, right, in order to pay for things that people actually want that they support, things like in Idaho education. 
The problem is uh, the special interest in Washington uh, get into the ears of elected officials. Uh, people decide that getting reelected uh, is the most important thing rather than doing something once they're elected. And you see a lot of honestly cowardice uh, in too many elected officials. So, you know, again, I, I used to have bumper stickers that said, if the people lead, eventually the leaders will follow. Then I had my logo on it. I believe that so much. And this is one where if we actually looked at where people are at, we should be far more bold on raising taxes on the wealthiest, going after corporations that find ways to hide profits uh, overseas. These are not left-right spectrum issues. These are pretty much mainstream issues, and we should be very proud to be campaigning on them. Yeah, amen. Okay, uh, let's pick up some phone calls here. Uh, Mike in Chicago. Mike, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yesterday, there was an interesting subject that was mentioned about the immunity laws that, uh, or the immunity law that's been put in place for car, uh, gun manufacturers and um, uh, gun dealers. Uh, is the process to uh, reverse that? just as intensive or complicated as to actually pass such a bill? I mean, meaning, I guess, is uh, filibuster still in place and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, for any law, unless it's fiscal in nature, which is that reconciliation process we tried to use on Build Back Better and we did use on um, infrastructure and other bills, um, you have to go through the arcane rules that the Senate has. So to your simple question, yes. Interestingly, Mike, this is something I was just yesterday, I have it on my note list to spend talking to my staff when I get back next week, specifically on this issue, because, you know, anything will take a lot of work to do. But why is it that, you know, so many people who genuflect uh, to the NRA, um, who are, which is really gun manufacturers, we all know that that's who funds the NRA, it's about gun sales, not about anything else. But so many people, you know, pay so much lip service to them. And yet, you know, we allow this very unique carve out for a product, especially an AR-15. What is it really useful for in our day to day lives? I mean, you really aren't hunting with it. You certainly aren't going to probably use that as, as a real personal protection because you're not going to be able to carry that on yourself uh, like you might a handgun for personal protection. There's very little excuse to provide that kind of immunity for some of these weapons. And maybe that's another thing we should be looking at. So, um, Mike, I think you bring up an interesting point, uh, something that I myself was just uh, pondering over. But anything uh, to your very specific question, anything has to follow the arcane rules as long as the Senate decides to follow them, and that includes the 60 votes around the filibuster. Tim in Matawan, Michigan, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. Representative, I would like to know why the people in Congress didn't learn their lesson from the Korean War and Vietnam War and let people cross a border and then be safe. I think that we should send as many long-range weapons as we can to Ukraine and let them win by showing that they're better. I hear you, Tim. I'm, I think that's what we're attempting to do, right? We keep uh, doing as much as possible and giving weapons that they're asking for in Ukraine. What I think many of us are concerned about is we don't want to send U.S. troops there. We don't want this to be a world war. We don't want that kind of involvement because uh, it would be very costly in terms of lives uh, and and other things. And, and so far, I've been happy uh, the way the administration has handled this to make sure that we're not sending U.S. troops, but we are trying to provide help in every other possible way. I actually think this week, Tom, the, what the European Union is going to finally do on getting energy from uh, Russia might be pivotal uh, right now and something very important. Unfortunately, it's between now and December. Right. Uh, but I think you know we needed that probably months ago, but it's helpful that they're doing it now. And uh, if we can keep this squeeze on, the Ukrainian people have been amazing at defending their country. Uh, we're trying to provide all that we can, but we don't want a world war. I think history is going to show uh, Zelensky as as the Churchill of, of this generation. I, I really do. Um, I, I'm with you. Tyrone in Harlem, New York, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Congressman, Mitch McConnell says that, that one of his most consequential achievements was to stop Obama from appointing Mary Garland. So his, I, I believe, he believed that his whole of, of opposition is that Supreme Court, that he'll be able to do whatever laws or, or, or restrictions that we come up with, the Supreme Court could just knock them down. We hesitating and accepting the fact that we're dealing with the opposition of the Supreme Court 
that is going to stop anything we try to achieve. They, they reversed the Clean Water Act. How can you do that and not recognize that you're jeopardizing all Americans when you do that? So that, that's my question. Do the Democrats understand what we're up against when we're dealing with the Republican Party? I don't think we have a full understanding. Yeah, I hear you, Tyrone. I, first of all, I think people are very aware. A number of us talk about it. Um, Mandir Jones from New York uh, has got a bill to expand the court for many of those reasons. You know, it, it has been fluid through our history as a country. It's time, I think, uh, to expand the size of the court and deal with it that way. But, uh, you know, it's not just Mitch McConnell, by the way. This has been decades long planning by the conservative movement, by, by the special interest, by some of the wealthiest people in this country to have a fallback, right? As long as they have the Supreme Court while they're doing all the other election work they do, they always have another vehicle to get things done. The problem is, you know, with Donald Trump, kind of the, the crazies got, got the steering wheel for a while and they still are there. Even if maybe they're, they're now in the passenger seat, they're still driving that car in many ways. The problem is they're, uh, what they've wanted to do is overturn Roe versus Wade, a half century of law. It's a lot of other things as well. Yeah. Paul in Amber, Pennsylvania. Paul, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. When can we expect to hear the congressional uh, hearings into the rise of gasoline prices due to the organized monopoly of OPEC? When I watched evening news or even some cable news, which I occasionally look at, I don't hear one word about OPEC, the oil-producing and export countries that have a formal cartel that controls all production, distribution, and refining of gasoline. I mean, when are we going to stop hearing about it's President Biden or the Democrats' fault that the pump price at the pump is too high? When are we going to have congressional hearings about this? The last year of the Obama administration, Congress and the Obama administration overturned a law that forbade the United States or companies in the United States from exporting oil. The rationale was that we're producing more oil than we can use so that we've got to export some of it. If we are truly oil independent, and everything I've read suggests we are, then if Congress were to go back to that law, which Richard Nixon got put into place in 1973 in response to the first oil crisis, if we went back to that law, wouldn't that allow the United States to decouple from international prices on oil and lower the price of, of oil here in the United States? Because we would become a single market, essentially, for those kind of products. First of all, Tom, I think you may be onto something that we need to do. We need to do something different than we're doing right now. Um, there have been hearings the Energy and Commerce Committee has had. But I'll be honest, paint drying may have been more stimulating than the hearing they had with oil company executives right. on gas prices. And I don't think we did a very good job. I don't think Democrats are messaging this well at all. We have recordings from oil company executives who have said they've limited production because they were trying to have higher returns for their shareholders. And now we're all paying that price. Remember last March, um, Tom, when there was a, the, the cold spell went through Texas and they don't have enough uh, to protect their energy, energy grid because they don't invest in their government and uh, oil prices uh, went up, gas prices went up because some refineries were shut down. They never went back down. And we've been paying high prices since last March. And then we had another now, of course, because of Ukraine, a further increase. But this is oil executives not taking their responsibility well. First of all, there's it's a monopolized industry with very few players. Second of all, we still subsidize them with record profits, which makes no sense. Uh, third, we give them all kinds of extra leasings on energy that they're not even using, and yet they treat us uh, like we're human trash. Uh, I think the president needs to bring an oil executive company, one of these companies that's really, I think, abusing the process, and take them to task publicly. Bring them in front of the public and show what they're doing and shame them greatly. And one of the ways, Tom, is what like, things like you're talking about. They don't have to have every rule working to their advantage when they're not even supporting the American people. We need to be far more aggressive than we've been. And I just today might have been on the phone with the White House with this as one of my messages um, because I'm very concerned we're not handling this well, and I think, you know, I look at what the president tried yesterday on inflation. I, I think it was a swing and a miss. Um, I think we need to be far more aggressive in, in going after some of these folks that are abusing the process, because that is a significant part of what we're doing on gas prices, 
in particular. And I don't get, I think other than the fact that they're very powerful and in some states like Texas, they, they have Democrats and Republicans who seem to sometimes um, defend them more aggressively than they should. Uh, I, I just think we're not handling this in the way we need to, Tom, at all. Yeah, uh, amen. Uh, I think it was the UK just imposed a, a windfall profits tax on the oil industry. That's that's one thing you could do. I just think, I mean, we're still subsidizing them. Right. I mean, we yeah. subsidize them with record profits. I mean, it, this is all an example of what's wrong with the, the power of special interest in Washington, D.C. Yeah, yeah. Um, amen. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Uh, we have about a minute and a half here to the break. You got a quick question? Did you ever notice that the price at the pump goes up immediately, even though it could take up to a month to ref uh, refine the oil that comes out of the ground? Yeah. The oil. And then it doesn't go back down. Last month. Yeah. So uh, is it your question for uh, Congressman Pocan? Yeah. Hi. I don't understand why it is we don't have an international fund for refugees, part of the U.N. that we pay into, that deals with these people because the U.N. can can't usually do do it so well and um why shouldn't we have like a trade for taking in refugees for paying into it something like that yeah i i couldn't tell you, i don't serve on a community that deals directly with foreign relations so i'm not going to say that this is the um absolute answer but i mean you know one of the problems we saw under donald trump is we quit taking refugees in i mean i think we're back to doing a better job of that in the united states other countries i mean poland deserves a lot of credit for what they've done with ukraine right now um but we that that's part of our our dna really as a country is accepting refugees we are a nation in many ways of people from many different countries and and we've always accepted refugees I hope that we'll always live up to that and not go back to where we were with Donald Trump. I yeah. hear the music now. I like yeah. you. <laughs> Amen. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls for the hour. Member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, former chair, co-chair of the Progressive Caucus, uh, representing Wisconsin, the second district in the U.S. House. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. Pocan.house.gov on the internet. You can tweet him at Rep Mark Pocan. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Nick in Santa Barbara, California, listening on KPFK, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. So I have a proposal. For example, if I want to get a gun, it, is, it does make sense to get uh, two co-signers who knew me last two years, They like a teacher or a, a neighbor or uh, somebody from the community which will be okay with me walking around with a gun. What is your take on this? Yeah, Nick, I think that would uh, play to pretty much every fear that uh, Republicans put out there, that uh, you're going to somehow stop people from getting guns, that it's not your own personal freedom to have a gun. Look, I don't know of many elected officials who are after someone's hunting rifle or even um, their personal protection of a handgun. The real issue, I think, is how easy you can access it, how you can go around the rules to access guns. 
And I would argue, do you really need an AR-15 for any practical personal purpose? Those, I think, would be some of the better ways to address it rather than making it more cumbersome to actually get a hunting rifle or a handgun for personal protection. I just think some of those might play into some of the arguments that the Republicans use to say it's a slippery slope and we're after everything. Michael in Anchorage, Alaska. Michael, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. Hello. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Mark and Tom, I have been listening to your show for mm, 10 plus years. My question is this. Why are our representatives not really representing the public speak? Anchorage, Alaska, I don't believe has had mm, gun violence. Yeah, there's probably two or three murders every day, but they're never reported. My question for you is, what can we do as a country, as a whole country, all 50 states? Why are we so, what? We're, we're dead in our eyes. I look in a congressman's eyes. I look Michael, in a what's, what's the topic you're, you're topic arguing is not being addressed? Why are we waging war in every country that we can? Okay. Congressman? I have to admit, there's a lot there, Tom. I, yeah, I'm not sure I understood the question, so we'll just move on. Ed in Los Angeles. Ed, you're on the air. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you for your service for both of you. Uh, it helps me keep sane. Uh, anyway, uh, my, uh, last Sunday I watched uh, 60 Minutes, and they showed the, uh, the high-powered uh, a uh, AR-15s uh, versus a regular handgun. And my thought was that if the pictures of the children that were slaughtered were shown to the congressmen and the senators, maybe they could change the hearts. You're right if I could say members of Congress and other elected officials and legislatures were normal. Um, the problem is uh, this is a special interest of gun manufacturers. That's what the NRA is. It's not about gun owners because no one's going after the average person's gun. This is gun manufacturers who want to have unlimited sales of guns with no restrictions. Doesn't matter what the cost is in human terms or any other term. And you have to have elected officials that don't genuflect and do anything that they want. The problem is, you saw the NRA convention, you know, who all goes to it. Uh, this is an issue that has a true special, special interest problem that makes it very difficult to look at that. So absolutely, those pictures should be horrifying to anyone, but they're going to choose not to consider that aspect of it. They're going to consider uh, just what's in their best interest politically, and that's to continue to appease gun manufacturers. I, I, I uh, Tom, in, in Vegas, I used an AR-15. I went to one of those things. I wanted to see what it was actually like. Mm -hmm. And I went and shot with one because I wanted to actually have the experience so I could talk about it, uh, I think, better. There's no way you would use that either for personal protection or really for hunting. This is used for really warfare. I mean, it's used to take out lots of human lives in that sort of situation. Why we would make that something that has to be readily available for everyone for freedoms? No, because it, it takes away the freedoms of 19 kids and two adults in Texas. And think of all the other shootings we've had every single weekend. We have to be more aggressive. And, and I'll be honest, I'm not happy Democrats. That's not on our agenda next week. Banning assault weapons is not. Even though there's 205, I believe, sponsors to the bill, it will not be on the floor. Other measures that will be helpful are, but we're still not addressing, I think, some of the most important. Yeah, the assault weapons ban was very, very effective. Tim in Chatsworth, California, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Longtime listener, I am a progressive Democrat. Uh, I'd like to give you a different perspective, but uh, my question is, are you familiar with Prop 47 in California? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> Me neither. Prop 47 was a law that was passed, and this is uh, quote-unquote progressive legislation to help with the bail system and keeping you know kids that are 17 and 18 years old from having felonies on their records and ended up just in the system. The problem with Prop, Prop 47 and this is going to be anecdotal, but this is this is my experience, and this is why people need AR-15s in certain situations. Because I know that there's no, you know, people have that are on the left that don't understand it. Um, I, I live in a very nice area that used to be gorgeous, which has been destroyed by Reaganomics. I understand that it's a systemic problem, and I agree with most of the gun laws as far as background checks and you know and keeping people from the, Can you the, cut you to know, the red chase, flag Tim? laws. Yes, sir. The problem is. 
Uh, Prop 47 has reduced major felonies to a $50 slap on the wrist. And I'll tell you what, the gangbangers, when they come up here at night and steal our catalytic converters and break into our garages and cause us to lose our insurance, there are three, four, five, six of them at a time. And I'm telling you right now, I, I've got a task force that we have to have with volunteers. And, and I'm telling you right now, one single Glock isn't going to do it. Okay. Congressman? Yeah. Tim, I just respectfully disagree with you. I can't speak to what California's Proposition 47 um, did, but I can tell you, uh, you can have a personal handgun for protection. You can have a hunting rifle if that's part of what you enjoy doing in your family traditions. But an AR-15 is not really useful for either. It is useful for one thing only, uh, killing many people uh, in a very quick amount of time. And, and uh, I, I just disagree fundamentally that having those guns out there is is in any way, any shape or form useful in the long term for the country. So um, especially when, you know, there's still this giant loophole around the background checks and it's so easy to get these guns in other ways. Uh, we have to have better um, rules in place and we can't be so afraid of the gun manufacturers that want to make money off of selling them and I, I, I just respect, respectfully disagree to right. or there's shells who call into radio programs I can guarantee you Tim says this is anecdotal I guarantee you he has never engaged gangbangers with an AR-15 and nobody in his neighborhood has it would make national news this exactly. is just another one of these BS uh, arguments Brent in Tucson Arizona you're on the air with Representative Pocan Mark, I'd like to bring up an idea, uh, uh, see what you think about it. I talked with this a uh, little bit with Tom last week. Uh, I'd like to promote, uh, like when we have, uh, when we vote on getting um, big money out of politics or voting rights legislation, I would like to have it go through uh, what you would call maybe a national uh, referendum freedom ballot where everybody in the nation gets together and we vote on it. You said earlier that eventually um, the leaders will follow. I think that we could uh, cut a lot of time and get the, the, our issues, uh, the democratic issues, put across much quicker if we voted on it to begin with. This would just be on legislation, uh, major legislation, ideas that are very pressing Referendum. Um, the public. Got it. Yeah, I'll, I'll a couple of concerns, Brent, just uh, thinking it out loud. One, I don't quite know how you would do that. I think that would be perhaps very difficult to actually have it be um, accountable uh, and do. Second, one of my problems with uh, binding referendums in some states that have it, we don't have it in Wisconsin, I know California does, is, you know, think about um, issues like marriage equality. Uh, before marriage equality, which now is widely popular, wasn't, you know, you can still have a majority of people in some cases take away the rights or, or the privileges of, of, of others. And I, I am concerned a little bit about the binding referendum process if you did something like that at a national level, because at times it could just be um, actually taking away some of the rights and freedoms that you should have as an American. Mike in Reno, Nevada, listening on the Tom Hartman app. Hey, Mike, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Congressman, very quickly, I just wondered, are there any Republicans that you can actually work with? You, you go to work with them every day. Do you have lunch with them? Uh, I'll, uh, that's my basic question. Are there any good ones you can work with? And I'll take the answer off the air. Yeah, Mike, it's an interesting question. So, I mean, yes, there are Republicans you can work with. You may not agree with everything on, but you can do it without being disagreeable, um, especially on appropriations. I mean, quite honestly, I'm a little spoiled. It's one of the more normal committees where you don't have people who are just trying to raise money off of outrageous actions like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and the like. Um, the problem is, you know, leadership plays to those folks that get all the media and therefore someone like Kevin McCarthy that already has, you know, is, is uh, challenged in, in standing up for the right things, uh, winds up letting that group run their party and then ultimately that's how the decisions are made. So yes, um, there are Republicans. I think the other fantasy is I wish we had time to have lunch uh, with others. Usually mine involves uh, eating at my desk during a committee or uh, trying to you know eat at two in the afternoon or three in the afternoon my lunch because I have to have a 10 minute break in between things. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time with our current schedules to actually get to know members. And that's one thing I would love to see a schedule change. Right now we meet either Monday to Thursday or Tuesday to Friday with a fly-in day on each end. That means you have two full days you're in Washington to do everything. 
And a couple of weeks ago, I had six committees in a two and a half day period, which meant several of them were going at the same time. You can't do your work in the way you need to. I would rather see us go for several weeks in a row, five day weeks, full five day weeks. You can go home on the weekend if you're as long as you're back on Sunday night to start Monday morning. It would give us more floor time, but also would have you one more week a month in your district listening to your constituents. There's a way to make it better. And that would perhaps allow you to get together with people and have a meal and maybe get to know each other, which I do think is crucial to this process. Ray in East Haven, Connecticut, you're on the air with Representative Pokam. Yes, this is my first time caller, Tom. I just love your show. Thank you, Ray. And I'm amazed. Well, I, I'm amazed at how fantastic your audience is. And, and you have great guests like Representative Pokan. And my question is, especially for uh, Representative Pokan, is that I, when I communicate with intelligent and sensitive liberal Democrats like myself, or listen to them like on your show, it, I almost always hear that the problem of the Democratic Party is that it doesn't have a coherent, persuasive message. And that's my question for Representative Vokan, is that why can't the party develop and use such a message? Thank you. Yeah, I'll tell you, Ray, I, I think, you know, what, what we often say is Republicans talk in headlines, Democrats talk in paragraphs. And that's part of the problem, right? Because the attention span, look at Twitter is only so many characters. People are used to getting a short message and Republicans message better. Now, they don't believe in a lot. Um, and often what they believe in isn't what they actually are doing. And that's the difference. But I do think there's some lessons we could learn from what you say. Great. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And taking your calls for the hour, Bob in Chicago, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Good afternoon. Good morning. Uh, thank you, Congressman Pocan. I'm calling about judi judicial review. Um, my question to you is, and I've looked this up a little bit, we all know if you've attended Tom Hartman uh, University, that that is a power that the SCOTUS has taken on themselves and not something that's been um, delineated in the Constitution. Has Congress ever sued them to take that power away? I can see where it would probably come back with a, no, we're going to keep the power. But would you please take all of your fellow congressmen and pass a bill or start an action to sue the Supreme Court to, for them to lose the power of judicial review? Yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't think there ever has been a suit. I think that's uh, your point. Um, so I'll, I'll, let me think about it. Let me mull it around. But uh, you know, I do think that we are in a, a, a period where we do need to look at changing the size of the Supreme Court. And uh, you know, again, there is legislation to do that. I don't think it's going to be an easy, quick thing. Um, but I, I do think Mondaire Jones, and I forget who in the Senate has the bill offhand, 
but I do think it's something that we should be considering um, as important. Also, if I could, Tom, the judiciary bill on guns mm -hmm. does include a new ban on the import sale and manufacturing and transfer of high capacity uh, magazines, but it does uh, grandfather in any existing ones. I just wanted to mention that because I wasn't sure Interesting. it is in what they're looking at. Cool. Thank you. Michael yeah. in Bangor, Maine. You're on the air with Representative Pocan. Hi, Tom. Hey, Michael. Hi, uh, Congressman. Uh, Tom knows I'm a conservative uh, uh, attorney, and, I, and I'm just going to ask this question. It seems to me that everybody's overlooking the, the major problem here, that the Constitution does not really give the federal government, uh, in its enumerated powers, the ability to tell states what to do with this type of stuff. I'm just asking the, uh, the congressperson to explain to people why the states shouldn't be regulating this as opposed to Congress. Okay. Thank you. I mean, well, first of all, I think they can do it. Um, they mostly don't. Um, but I, I think something at this level, if you had some uniformity across state lines, makes sense, which is why we need some national legislation on this. And, you know, I'll tell you, I can't go to another floor day in Congress where we have a moment of silent, silence and then do absolutely nothing to stop uh, these massacres. It's a uniquely, unfortunately, a, a U.S. problem that doesn't exist in other countries. So we that is the definition of a problem. It's something we can fix, but we choose not to because of the special interests of the gun manufacturers. So, um, Michael, we could have debates about uh, the Constitution and the powers there. I do think we have the powers to do it at the federal level. More importantly, I think we should use those powers to get it done. Rodney and whoop. There we go. Rodney in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. You are on the air with Representative Pocan. Hey, Tom, hey, Tom and uh, Mr. Robinson, why, we, why is, not, why is um, Clarence Thomas not being, being investigated, him and his wife? Cause I, I believe she didn't want, I believe she didn't want to leak it because she's too tied into the situation. Why is Congressman not investigating Jenny and, Jenny and Clarence Thomas? Uh, I, I couldn't tell you that it's not happening, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I serve on the Appropriations Committee on Education and Labor. We don't do that. But perhaps oversight and government reform or maybe just there could be a committee doing that. I don't know that definitively, so I can't really answer that for Rodney. My committees don't have oversight like that. Congressman, we just have 45 seconds. It's really not enough to toss another caller on. Um, your thoughts on what we should be, where we should be focusing our activism in the coming weeks and what you're expecting to be happening? Yeah, so I mean, next week we'll take up a lot of the the gun um, legislation in the House. Uh, my busy period starts, you know, or it's been already in going for about the last six weeks on appropriations. That we'll be trying to get budget bills with our fiscal year ending September 30th. This is the start of the political season. This is the time to get active politically, um, and I think that's my real message. You know, if you care about whatever issue it is. You better get involved in campaigns now and not wait till October or November because it could be a tough fall. And think how tough it'll be if, if you have Speaker Jim Jordan and Senator Mitch McConnell uh, as the two leaders in the House and Senate. We have to be active now if you care about your personal freedoms. Amen. Representative Mark Pocan. Congressman, thanks so much for dropping by today. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. Thank you as always. Always Appreciate great talking with you. Richard in Devon, Colorado. Hey, Richard, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? I have a proposal to uh, handle the gun problem, okay. the gun control problem. Why don't we just tax the hell out of owning a gun and purchasing a gun? And that would be one way to do it. But, but then, you know, you, the, for example, the, the company that sold one of the guns that the shooter in uh, Texas used last week, is selling those guns on a layaway plan. <laughs> so you can go in and, and buy a gun and, you know, no money down, which, you know, works just fine if you know that you're going to die in the, in the mass shooting. Uh, no money down or $50 down, and you walk out of there with a $1,000 gun and a piece of paper you've signed saying that uh, you will make an installment payment for the next five years. What do you do about that, Richard? Well, you have to pay the tax when you take possession of the gun and yeah. the thing of it is uh, we've done the same basic thing with cigarettes and alcohol to the point yeah and alcohol to the point where it's really expensive to smoke or drink and it's cut down on the amount of smoking yeah smoking in particular if, if there was right. like a 
if there was like a $1,500 charge at the time of purchase with the proceeds to go to uh, gun control. Uh, How about the proceeds going to pay for the funerals of people who are killed in mass shootings? Well, what, you know, and mental programs to prevent it from happening, mm -hmm. education programs. Yeah. I, I don't see any reason why that could not be done. And, uh, uh, you know, the Republicans would scream, well, you're raising taxes. But uh, it's just, uh, to me, it would be a way of doing this without any of the two Second Amendment problems of yeah. ownership. If you want to own it. The, the problem we have right now, Richard, is that for every hundred people in America, there's, there's over a hundred guns. Um, for in, in, in Yemen, which is the second most heavily gun populated country in the world, it's uh, for every hundred people in Yemen, there's about 50 guns. Um, for Canada, for every hundred people in Canada, there's about 30 guns. So we have more than three times as many guns at, per person as Canada does. And that's why we have, you know, so many more killings. So putting a tax on guns going forward is going to do nothing about the 400 million plus guns in circulation in a country with only 335 million people. What do you do about that? Okay, I have, I have a solution for that, too. Have a government program to buy the guns back. Yeah, and that, that worked well in Australia. It worked well in the United Kingdom. It worked very, very well in New Zealand. Um, and uh, it worked well in Norway, too. All of those countries, after they had mass shootings, you know, significant, terrible mass shootings. They all put into place really significant gun control laws and gun buyback programs. And communities around America periodically run gun buyback programs, by the way. You know, towns and, and counties and uh, sometimes police departments. But I think that uh, I, my personal opinion is that, number one, we need to get weapons of war off the streets. And, uh, the, you know, it's just crazy that we ever, you know, that George W. Bush let the, the assault weapon ban expire in 2004. That was when the really high, high death rate mass slaughters started. Richard, thank you for the call. Keep thinking. Step by step, we'll get there. George in Cripple Creek, Virginia. Hey, George, what's up? Hey, Tom, how are you doing? I wanted to talk to you about gun control and give you a few examples from my collection See what you think. Okay, I own a British Lee Metford Model 1895 rifle, you know, 10-round magazine that served in the uh, Boer War with the Royal Navy in World War One. And according to the ATF, you know, I didn't have to go through a background check because anything made prior to 1898 is not considered a firearm. It's considered an antique. Huh, interesting. So yeah, you know, uh, that one... You know, you had to load each round individually. You couldn't load it with a stripper clip. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And, and the second example, you know what a British brown best musket is, right? I don't. Okay, I've heard it was of them, the, I don't uh, know what it is. Primary uh, British military rifle from around 1715 through the 1830s. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the British during the Revolutionary War, that was their primary arm. But some guy got on the Internet and said, oh, it took 20 minutes to... Uh, Load and fire a flintlock. Well, the average redcoat could fire several rounds a minute. I'm 74, and I own a replica brown breast musket, and I can shoot three or four rounds you know, on target per minute. That's pretty impressive. I've you know I've watched enough movies where they're reloading those things. I don't see how you can do three or four of those a minute. Oh well, you can. Believe me, I've done it. <laughs> okay. All right. So, what's your point, George? Yeah, I just was wondering whether you thought something like that Model 1895 should be subject to gun control. No, I don't. I think that uh, antiques are antiques and, and probably... Exactly, right. Yeah, yeah, anything... Yeah, I'm all with you with... Uh, yeah, I was in the Army and I had to qualify with an M16 and I have no desire to own one. Yeah, yeah. I, the, these are, you know, what we have now are, are weapons of war and, and you've got bullets that... Um, you know, the, the, the 223, I think they're called uh, bullets that, uh, you know, are yeah, right. around. Yeah, yes. so much. So there's so much more power behind them. They're traveling so rapidly that when they hit the body, they just start to tumble and they just blow giant holes in people. And uh, it, it's why do we need weapons of war? I don't get it. Well, I, you know, well, I don't, I don't even think cops should be having these things. I think they should have, you know, 
semi-automatic sidearms, sure, and, and rifles. Linda in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Hey, Linda, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I was listening earlier, and I was thinking about the, um, we need to get out and vote. Um, and what really annoys me is the um, House of Representatives and the Senators. Uh, I'm older, and it used to be that that was a uh, service job, you know, the, you represented it was a service job for the country. They have no service. It's all about power. And even the senators and the House of Representative people that are not rerunning don't even have the guts to vote for um, things that are right, like gun control, the um, anti-abortion, pro-life things. I, I don't know where they became so, they pull everything and then they vote according to what they want anyway, even though people want gun control. Yeah, but Linda, I would say by and large, you're talking about Republicans, not not the House of yeah. Representatives in the Senate. And that's, that's a distinction no. that we need to start making because it's a distinction that is not typically made on network news or on the Sunday shows. Oh yeah, Congress is so dysfunctional. No, sorry, the House of Representatives has passed two really good gun control laws so this year. It's just that, you know, they're, they're jammed up in the Senate where 100% of the Republicans are saying, no, we will not talk about this. And then, you know, you get Joe Manchin in there, too. So it's not, it's, it's not Democrats. This is, but you're absolutely right, except the one qualification I would make, and I, I just heard you agree with me on this, is that we have a Republican problem. We don't have a Congress problem. We have a Republican problem. Linda, thank you very much. Well said. Tony in uh, Shirley, New York. Hey, Tony, what's up? Unfortunately, I'm waiting for a phone call from my employer right now. I'm expecting to get discharged. Uh, reason I'm being is that, that. I, um, I'm a salesman, and um, I've been a machinist for over 31 years. And I worked a lot with uh, four of the biggest firearm manufacturers. Uh, you would know all of them by name if I said them, but I don't want to get anybody in any trouble uh, or get myself in any more trouble than I'm in. But that being said, after what happened in... After what happened in Texas, I feel a moral culpability for assisting these manufacturers and showing them best machining practices and methodologies and manufacturing uppers and lowers and receivers. And I just can't do it any longer. Wow. And, uh, you know, um, I know my boss is gonna, my company is going to be pissed because, uh, quite frankly, they do business with this company because of the relationship that I've developed over the years with them. But after talking with even the president of one of, I can just say the company is located in Yonkers currently, three of their manufacturing facilities. And the executives there told me point blank, the two things that they look forward to is a, Repub a Democratic president and one of these mass shootings, because either one, if you have a Democratic president, automatically they're going to start saying, oh, they're going to take your Second Amendment rights, gun sales go up immediately. That's correct. And when you see a shooting like this, automatically gun sales have already gone through the roof, and I've been getting calls. They've got 30-week lead times on 7075 aluminum that they manufacture the upper and lowers for the AR-15s that these, this one company manufactures. I just can't do this no longer. I can't. Wow. Wow. Well, Tony, and, I, you know I what, honor you. What kills me even more is that the people that I represent that manufacture the tools for these companies, they go to these, they go to these gun shows, and they show them we manufacture these specific step reamers, these specific type of end mills to manufacture these products. But if you go on their websites, you cannot find them. Hmm. They don't have them listed. Yeah. Yeah. Not one of them. Yeah. Tony, you're going to be, uh, I'm assuming you have a, a, a skill set that will allow you to land on your feet? Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, I wish you the very best, Tony. It's got to be, it's got to be tough. I mean, I, I, I remember back in the 90s, you know, when, uh, particularly when the tobacco settlement came down, and I think it was 98, there were uh, people who were, I mean, like receptionists at big tobacco companies who were quitting their jobs. I mean, it, it's, they it appears that sometimes, you know, there are these moments in history where, where people of good conscience are confronted with a come to Jesus moment, you know, and, and obviously you're one of them. Um, I just, I just want to say, I have so much respect for you. It's, it, it, it's. Yeah. I, I, I thank you. I just wish um, I could have done something a lot earlier. Yeah, I get it. And I wish everybody else that does this 
would would really rethink their morals if they really really care, because you know everybody's proclaiming Second Amendment, but that's that they keep forgetting a well-regulated militia. Yeah. They keep leaving certain specific criteria out of the equation. They leave this out consistently. They never emphasize this whatsoever, and. Um, there's no reason why anybody needs a bullet that has <laughs> that has a velocity of 3,200 feet per second, which is precisely what an AR-15 round is. Yeah, yeah. No, I, That's I, why children had to be identified through DNA, because when these children, as swollen as they are, were shot, there was not much left of them, yeah. sadly. No, it'll blow their face right off their, right off it, their head. Or their head right yeah. off their neck. I mean, that's that's the. It's incredible. Tony, thank you for the call, and uh, you know, I wish you well. Check in with us in a few weeks. Let us know how it's going. Okay. I will, sir. Thank okay. you. Thank you, uh, Johan in Los Angeles. Hey, Johan, what's on your mind today? I see that um, these mass shootings and these shooters don't get charged with domestic terrorism when they get charged with the other crimes from their states. We don't have why good, strong laws in the United States against domestic terrorism. That's why. As soon as they commit the act, but why don't they charge with the federal crime? Yeah. Why, why they charge with only state crimes? It's, uh, it's a good topic to, to probably get somebody who really knows this stuff, who's a lawmaker on, because uh, the, the, my understanding is that we have very, very rigorous laws around terrorism. Um, you know, our, our ability to even suspend habeas corpus and things like that around terrorism. But when you're talking domestic terrorism, when you're talking Americans who are committing terrorism, the laws go really, really soft. And they go really soft because every time we try to pass a, a strong domestic terrorism law, the people who are the friends of the domestic terrorists, which is mostly Republicans who are friends of Nazis and, and white supremacists and, and, and you know, hateful, bigot uh, racists, uh, start yelling and squealing and screaming. And, uh, you know, and that's what happens. But, but I, I am not an expert on our anti-terrorism laws. And, I, you know, we need to find one. Vincent in Prescott Valley, Arizona. Hey, Vincent, what's on your mind today? The tactics that are used by the Republican parties to keep power and control all surround violence. For example? Jim Morrison, who had a father that was a carrier admiral and, or captain in the Vietnam War, Jim Morrison came out with the statement that this world is a will to power and nothing more. Are the Republicans emulating that sarcastic comment was that jim morrison of the doors yes huh i didn't know that his dad was a, an aircraft carrier commander that's fascinating i think that you're you're touching something that's quite consequential and significant vincent which is that the republican party doesn't have anything basically to offer the american people they they are the party of the rich the party of the powerful the party of the corporate and uh, and they and and the and the party of the white increasingly and that's the rich, powerful, and corporate is where they put all their legislation and most probably ninety percent of their efforts. The supporting white supremacy and those who proclaim it is where they put ten percent of their efforts, but that's enough to get them the 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 white hate vote. And uh, and that's basically all they've got to offer. And and yeah, I think it's I I, I agree. I think it is all about power. Vincent, well, thanks. I'm in, I'm in Prescott. I'm in Prescott, and I have to talk to you know right wingers all the time because I'm sure. in this part of the country, and the conversation always ends up that violence is okay. Violence in support of a particular end or goal, you mean? Yeah. You try and talk to them about democracy and how it was formed and all the work it took, and they say, well, we give up on it. That's a tough Violence one. Is the only way. That's a tough yeah. one. I know there's, there's a couple of right-wing right billionaires who have come out and endorsed the libertarian position that uh, democracy is an inferior form of governance and, you know, really oligarchy is where we should be at and all that sort of thing. But... Um, I've, I've, well, I've never actually had a, a person tell me that who was like, you know, a, somebody I knew at, at work or at, you know, a next door neighbor or something like that. I mean, I've never, never heard anybody actually say that out loud outside of 
you know, wackadoodles like Stephen Moore said it on this program. You got to visit me here, Tom. You got to come. Got to come to Prescott, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you for Richard Wolf and uh, uh, Senator Pocan speaking regularly. It's a blessing. Yeah. Well, thank you, Vincent. Yeah, they're they're a blessing to our program too. Uh, And and thank you for your kind comments. This issue of of democracy is one that I don't think gets anywhere near enough attention. Uh, the idea, just the, the core idea of democracy. I've written a couple of books in which I've written extensively about how animals organize themselves democratically because it, ha- it, it, it guarantees the best survival outcome, the best chance of survival. And I believe that that is true of society and, and the human species, that democracy provides our best chance of survival. And those people who are preaching against democracy are preaching against, in my opinion, the survival of not only our country, but of the human race. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Sean in British Columbia, Canada. Hey, Sean, what's on your mind today? Just thinking about the, uh, you're talking about the uh, Republicans' uh, attack on tech companies and how the conservative voices are so, you know, so-called being oppressed. Well, you know, when you look at the whole history of, you know, and I can think of all the decades that they've been pushing this, this line of, you know, protecting corporations and corporations' free speech, it goes all the way back to, I remember in the civil rights era, watching documentaries about, how the sit-ins in the cafes, the libertarians and conservatives were arguing that the store has the right to refuse service to anybody that, uh, you know, came Correct. into their Yeah, their and, 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 and so, you know how LBJ got around that was, or actually it was John Kennedy initially, but, you know, Johnson carried most of it with Bobby as, as the AG, was uh, saying that under the Interstate Commerce Clause in the U.S. Constitution, Congress has the right to regulate commerce between the states. And because those lunch counters in Alabama and Georgia served food, uh, you know, they, they served ketchup made by Heinz in Pennsylvania, hmm. and that therefore they were engaged in interstate commerce and therefore they could be regulated by the federal government. It was, it was mm-hmm. a stretch. And the conservatives were, you know, yelling and screaming about it, but it worked. So how about for the uh, tech companies? Why don't we just, you know, uh, uh, just say, well, we'll just nationalize them. They're just now public companies that are run by the government, and that would really, uh, you know, spin their heads. But yeah. I mean, that's one way because they're asking for it. They're asking for, you know, some kind of. Uh, well, if they want everything, if they want, uh, you know, there was there was one caveat, Sean. There, and and this was something that was pointed out in one of the dissents. And I'm sorry, I've tossed the article now, and it would take me a, a, a more time to find it than. Um, but that was uh, in in the Texas law. And that was that it required the companies to reveal the nature of their algorithm and the, the systems that they use to decide what to censor and what not to censor. I don't have a problem with government requiring that of a company. In fact, I think it probably is a good idea. And I think that might be one of the reasons why some of the liberals on the court, um, uh, you know, kind of went along with this and, and why Elena Kagan dissented, actually. She, she did not go along with this decision. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I, there's, there's, uh, there's another shoe to drop, is my guess. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing is, uh, anytime uh, they do complain about rules against tech companies, they, we should be talking about the actual details. Like, I'm thinking of Milo Yiannopoulos, the uh, conservative commentator, when he was, um, uh, you know, kind of hounding and harassing Leslie Jones, who's a Saturday Night Live uh, uh, player there, um, you know, she was almost broke down on Twitter, just saying, "I'm, I'm out of here. This, this is just, you know, too much." I mean, it's that kind of stuff that has to be talked about, like the details about, well, why is Twitter, you know, you know, Sean, you're there in British Columbia, Canada. Are, are yeah. your right wingers in Canada as filled with hate and vitriol as ours are here in the United States? Well, we were kind of living in this bit of an oasis uh, for a long time where it's like, well, we're not like the states and, you know, we have our rednecks and we have, you know, hard right people, but they never really had a voice. But that all changed in the, uh, with the uh, convoy 
uh, occupation in Ottawa. Oh, really? Uh, because, yeah, I, 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 I've been following politics, you know, forever. And and I just have this sense that is, oh, okay, something happened there where it was almost like a conference of the really extremists. And then our new, uh, you know, the guy running for the Conservative Party now, Pierre uh, Polivier, uh, he's kind of taken that message and ran with it and now they are coalescing around that kind of leader mm. and that's that's a real first for canada that's caused a bit of a split in the conservative party as they're uh having a leadership race right now where you got Jean charest um you know trying to stay somewhat moderate and uh, traditional and now pierre is going you know tapping into the uh, extremist uh message um, so it's causing a split there, and that's the first time I've ever seen that really in Canadian politics. Because, mm-hmm. like I say, we've always had this nice, uh, relaxed way of <laughs> going. Oh, well, you, you sounds know, sounds kind of like your Tea right Party. Thing. You know, I mean, we had the Tea Party. The yeah. Tea Party was this. You know, it, it was funded by right wing yeah. billionaires, but it was it was a basically a white supremacist reaction to a, a black guy in the White House, the first black president, and it right. became. Not in, not the Tea Party itself, but that movement became the foundation, in my opinion, of basically everything that followed. You know, the the, the whole white supremacist thing here. It seems like the convoy in yeah. Canada did the same thing for y'all. Yeah, it's causing a, a crack in uh, you know our our kind of peaceful kind of. Uh, <laughs> just you know politics as usual um and i think this is the beginning of something i don't know how far it'll go but they've kind of tapped into that uh, redneck anger that we got so uh, your prime minister uh, justin trudeau has said has introduced legislation to stop all gun sales do you think it's going to pass I think it will because most uh, most of the response I see from people is it's all for that, right? Because yeah. you know we like I say we don't have a gun culture, so uh, people are kind of for that stuff. Good but there there will be a vocal. Uh, Sean, I got to run. Thank thank you so much yeah. for the call and for informing me. I appreciate it. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, which includes you. There's so much you can do, and this is an election year. It's so important. So get out there, get active, tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.